episode 115 of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Pennell. And Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and to inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful vegan business. And thank you, as always, to our amazing sponsors who are Vegan Accountants, Mindful Wealth, Mad Promotions, and The Vegan Publisher. And you're going to hear more from them later in this episode. And when you do... Don't skip their adverts because all of our sponsors, they are ethical, vegan-owned businesses who we use ourselves at Vegan Business Tribe. And they also work with many of our Vegan Business Tribe members too. So they come with the highest possible recommendations. Now, I have got an amazing episode for you today because today's topic, it was actually requested in our Vegan Business Tribe Slack group by one of our members, Alice Shopland of Angel Food, who are New Zealand's first and biggest vegan cheese company. And Angel Food, they have done just amazingly well these past few years, completely taking over the New Zealand vegan cheese market. And they're now crossing the ditch, as they like to say, in New Zealand, with a nationwide launch in Australia too. And Alice, she asked the question about why we don't talk about failure in business more. And that might seem to you like a bit of a negative thing to talk about. And you know how we like our positivity at Vegan Business Tribe. But there is a lot that you can learn from failure. And not just other people's failures, but your own too. And when you're going through tough times in your business, which you will, it is easy to think that everybody else is doing far better than you are because few people like to talk about how hard business can be. But often, something that seems like a failure right in that moment, that can become the pivotal point in your business. What seemed like failure might go on to become the catalyst that propels your business forwards. So, I reached out to a few people who I knew hadn't had that straightforward journey to success to ask if they wanted to talk about this topic. And in a moment, I'm going to be joined by Joe Hill, who is the co-founder of the vegan pizza brand One Planet Pizza that you can buy in supermarkets across the UK. And One Planet Pizza, they were founded by father and son team, Mike and Joe Hill. And they actually found success really early on, winning their first major retail listings quite quickly. But then everything started to fall apart as they realized that they'd won those big contracts before they, or to be honest, the product was really ready for them. Now, at this point, many people would just give up and go home. But Joe, he's got a mantra, which is, if you're going to fall, then make sure that you fall forwards, not backwards. And that early taste of success, followed by crushing defeat, it was actually a pivotal moment in creating the company that One Planet Pizza are today. 
Okay, so I really want you to sit back and take this one in. And just a reminder that if you do want to support the work that we do in championing and building the vegan business scene, then you can go beyond this podcast and sign up with our membership community at veganbusinesstribe.com. And by doing this, not only are you supporting us, but you also get so much value in return with access to all the masterclasses and the courses in our Vegan Business Academy. You get to attend all our online events and networking. Plus, you get access to the most amazing community of vegan business owners that you could ever hope to find. And on top of all that, you also get a free 20-minute one-to-one meeting with myself on Zoom when you sign up so that we can chat about your business or even just your idea for a business if you haven't launched one yet. So just head over to the website at veganbusinesstribe.com and click on that big join button on the homepage to find out more. Okay, so let's get going. And just a reminder that if you are listening to this, then you can also watch the video version on YouTube. And if you are already watching this on YouTube and you'd prefer to listen whilst you're going off and doing something else, and also you don't have to look at my face, which is a huge bonus too, then you can go find the audio-only version and that's on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your pods. Today I am joined by Mr. Joe Hill, who is the co-founder of One Planet Pizza. And Joe, we've covered One Planet's journey over the past few years at Vegan Business Drive, but up until now, we've always spoken to your co-founder and I've got to say dad, Mike Hill. So just for anybody who hasn't been following One Planet Pizza's journey as closely as as, as we obviously have, just give me two minutes of where the company has come from and where you are now. Absolutely, Dave. Well, it's nice to have the limelight while Mike's away. I'm sure I'll restore back to normality after this. But uh, yeah, so I'm Joe. Um, I've been uh, I've been vegetarian since a very young age, around ten years old. Um, always have a huge love and passion for wildlife, nature, animals. Uh, obviously, being influenced by my dad. Um, went vegan back in 2014, and then a couple of years later, me and Mike decided that the uh, plant-based market was was big enough and it was ready for us to set up our very own food business. So we looked for the uh, most obvious gap in the market. And at the time that was frozen vegan pizza for various reasons. So we made it our mission back in 2016 to uh, build a business that was built on sustainability um, and advocating plant-based food, focusing on deliciousness. And I just wanted to add that you also, one of our speakers at Vegan Business Tribe Live that we held over two days at the London Olympia. And I've not actually had a chance to catch up with you since that event to see how it went for you because you were on a panel talking about scaling up and getting into retailers. And you were with Andy Shovel from This Co, who is the fastest growing food company in the UK right now. And Chris Kong, who is the CEO of Better Nature Tempeh. And Chris, he's just a walking MBA of business theory and knowledge. But I think you pretty much held your own on that panel. I like to think so. Yeah, I like to think so. I mean, yeah, I mean, we all operate in the same space. These guys are um, obviously a few stages ahead of us, but uh, that's kind of what you want to be doing in my position is uh, surround yourself with people who are a little bit ahead of you, you know, because that just raises the bar and forces me to 
to up my game, to win those bigger listings, to catch up with them. So, uh, you know, it was a pleasure to be there and to be um, punching above my weight in, in that category. Um, but, you know, it just spurs us on, doesn't it, to, to grow faster and, and to reach new heights. Absolutely. And that kind of ties into what I actually want to talk about now, because from experience, it's incredibly hard to get any brand to talk about the realities of that scaling process, because quite a lot of the time it, it involves some degree of failure. But, you know, failing as a company, that actually plays such an important part of growing a business, because usually what I find is the picture that you have in your head when you first start out in your business, that doesn't often turn into reality. And part of making a business successful, it's having to survive your original ideas, not going to plan. So I know this is something that you've been through a number of times to get where you are now with One Planet Pizza, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we didn't have a background, you know, in, in building Mike's had a business in a very different sector. He's had a go at uh, restaurants. He sold a vegetarian restaurant a few years before One Planet Pizza. But um, other than that, building a scalable food brand is something that neither of us had ever done and not really thought about. So in terms of uh, the mistakes you can make, we pretty much did all of them over five, six, and still you know, still going now seven years Um and it's something that I think you can use as a bit of a superpower, um, being honest, open, candid across your platforms within your community and actually use it to, you know, to build up your own platform, to build up your network and to, to add some genuine value um, to your community uh, and to use that as, as a building block to keep pushing forwards, essentially. Yeah. So, so let's just look at a couple of those as well. So, so sure. <laughs> not, not to drag you through it to, to relive them, perhaps, but let's just jump back to 2018. And I think at that time, you'd just won your first major listing with Ocado, which should have been the perfect retailer matchup <laughs> for you. So at that point, when you won that listing, did you feel like One Planet Pizza had just made it at that point? Yeah, I mean, so this was just pre-COVID. Um, the plant-based sector was still, you know, experiencing and enjoying rapid growth. Um, investors were still pouring money into the sector. Uh, it was a great time to be building a plant-based food brand. And we had been growing nicely, raising some decent money, building the team up. Everything was going right at that point. And we'd moved into a larger factory, um, had a nice couple of wholesalers growing in the background. And through those wholesalers and independents, we'd managed to win our first smaller listing with Ocado. And um, that sounds like the natural stepping stone to the big retailers, and, and there's no going back. But for us, um, and probably realistically many others, if they're being honest, it was actually a really painful learning curve, but a very necessary learning curve. So, you know, Ocado, we went through that onboarding process, which was all new to us. Um, we thought we had a great product for the price it was, but we underestimated how different the uh, the mainstream shoppers were on Ocado compared to all of the other shoppers we'd had in, in previous uh, distribution channels. So, you know, we, we the, I guess the most obvious mistake, we priced ourselves too high. So we just weren't getting the rate of sale that we thought we would in Ocado. And it was then very hard to go back and change that. Um, we had problems with supply because we we're still making the pizzas by hand from scratch at a very small scale. Um, we were spending a lot of money on transport, um, frozen transport and distribution and, and storage because we didn't have uh, economies of scale. And um, it was it was just 
becoming very painful because we weren't getting the traction we expected. Um, now, talking to you at the moment, you can say that that is a learning curve and that is something actually that was actually really crucial for you to go to, to, to be able to get to where you are now. But at that moment, you must have thought that everything was starting to fall apart. You know, how, how real was the desire at that point when you got delisted through Arca um, Arcado back in 2018? How real was that desire just to kind of give up and, and say, well, maybe this hasn't worked out. You know, maybe we should go be doing something else instead. Yeah, I mean, of course, Dave, those thoughts come into your head at that point because you, it, it was one of, you know, it was always the start of the end goal for us. It was getting, it was always for us to get into the major retailers, yeah, so yeah. independents locally, then regionally, then nationally, wholesalers, then smaller retailers. It's that classic um, method to grow a, a, a sort of food business. So when we got to the smaller retailers and we hit this massive, brick wall and got the, the delisting, which then makes it incredibly hard to ever get back into that retailer. Um, obviously, me and Mike had, had doubts that this was a scalable business. And it, it, was that, it was that sort of transition from a, you know, a, a side project, a, a hobby to, you know, a genuine uh, invest, investable, scalable business. So it was, um, it was a pretty painful truth. Um, and I think at that point, it was when me and Mike decided, okay, this is something we want to take seriously. This is something that we 100% believe in. And I guess at that point, it, I, I found it quite important. I'm reading a bit about this at the moment, but I found it quite important almost not to have a plan B, which, which, um, which I thought was quite interesting at the time. It was, okay, we could have a plan B, which would be to, you know, for me to look at a different career or to get into a larger vegan food business and take my learnings elsewhere, um, get a more steady, reliable income, take the pressure off um, this small startup that we were working on then. Um, but what we decided was actually, no, we, we want to be 100% committed. We want to take this as far as we can. And we do, we do believe passionately that there is a real business here. So never had a plan B at that stage. And we just, if anything, it, it then gave us the fuel to you know, to go back at them and, and try a different method and, and to start, you know, taking everything back and start looking at the price, the proposition, the customers, do that hard work that we needed to do originally. I just wanted to break off for a second to ask, are you just following this podcast without being a member of Vegan Business Tribe? Because if you are, then let me tell you, you are missing out on about 80% of everything that goes on at Vegan Business Tribe, including incredible resources and a vibrant community of like-minded vegan business owners from around the world. Because as a member of Vegan Business Tribe, you'll gain access to hundreds of hours of online courses and guides and masterclasses in our Vegan Business Academy to help you grow your vegan business. You'll also get to attend our regular online networking meetups where you can promote your business and just forge those connections with fellow vegan business owners just like you. Plus, if you need more direct advice and assistance, you can join us on a live business clinic or you can post a question in our community hub where all our other members plus our vegan business experts are waiting to help you out. And the best part, it's just £18.99 a month. And at the same time, you'll also be supporting the work that we do 
championed the vegan business scene around the world. And just to add that we've now also recently introduced one-to-one business coaching and mentoring with myself or one of our vegan business experts. And that's available to a select number of our members. So if you're really looking to take your vegan business to the next level, then we've got you. Don't just lurk on the sidelines. There is a whole community of vegan businesses who want to get to know you and support you. Just head to veganbusinesstribe.com. Click on that big join button on the homepage and I cannot wait to connect with you and discuss your vegan business or your next big idea. And as you said, you'd never done this before. You know, this wasn't a type of business that you'd actually built. And I think that actually turned into the catalyst. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong here, but for you actually completely redeveloping the product and, and, you know, bringing that pricing down, making it more uh, cost effective. Do you think that that's a process you would have gone through if you hadn't have gone through your experience with Ocado? No, I think you probably you see a lot about about how you know you you learn the most from the biggest mistakes, and it's so true. So I think if we hadn't gone through that painful process of a delisting and a poor performance, uh, we never would have done this sort of hard, honest reflection. So you know, sitting down and and having those difficult conversations, you know, saying, okay, how much potential is there to grow? What does the price realistically need to be to reach mainstream consumers? Is the is the product actually good enough? Because we're in, we would be incredibly biased, obviously. And if it isn't, then you know what what do we really need to change? How far back do we need to go? And it you know a lot of the time it, it does go back to quality, price, uh, and then for us it was the brand and it was those key messages on the on the packaging through our socials. So we had to. We had to really strip everything right back to the, you know, um, you know, right back to the very basics. So we had to start looking at a major brand overhaul, looking at the actual flavors themselves, looking at the price, remodeling the pizzas. So we needed to somehow make them tastier and more affordable whilst going for a rebrand. So it doesn't get much harder than that. But um, Ocado delisting forced our hands. So, um, you know, we saw it as a late looking back, we saw it as one of the best things that happened to us at that time. Because if we hadn't have been forced to do that, then we we wouldn't have ended up with a much stronger brand that was better positioned to attract the mainstream consumers, which then later landed that major listing. And I think that's really good advice for people to hear if they're going through something like this now, that whole idea that this might actually turn out to be, you know, one of the best things that ever happened to your business. Because uh, I know about the same time, I think it was as well, that, that you also took on some private investment at that time. And I'm not sure how much you were able to talk about that, but I know that that didn't turn out to be very good a match e- either. And I think it took you about two years to resolve that situation too. Yeah, again... We, uh, we now know so much about investment because we made so many big mistakes early on. But, uh, you know, that, that is how you learn and you get better, isn't it? Um, you just can't be afraid to make mistakes. So we, yeah, we had initially, for the business, um, we'd, we'd crowdfunded with micro-investors um, and, and that worked for a few years. But then we needed, you know, some serious cash, in, cash injections from some private investors from angels. And... We um, got to the point where, you know, we didn't have too much time, we didn't have too many resources, and we didn't have enough um, 
you know, enough support around us from consultants, advisors, people that we could trust with the right experience. So we did have to make some quick decisions. And, you know, many of them have worked, but some of them haven't. And, and one of those was getting on board an investor that just was not a good match for the business at the time. And, um, you know, there, there were lots of um, promises made that uh, weren't kept. And actually, it really held back the growth and the freedom of the business to you know, to pivot and to adapt to changing environment very quickly for, for you know, quite some time. Mm. Uh, but again, you know, Mike and I didn't didn't want to have a plan B. We we always knew there'd be a way out. We just couldn't see it at the time. But we focused on what we could change and what we could do and, you know, stayed positive, um, stayed optimistic. And then eventually, you know, we found, um, we found a brilliant ethical uh, plant-based um, investment fund who were looking to build their portfolio at the time and and it you know finally it all fell in place and we managed to to move the investors around to 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 actually now where we've got a fantastic um, group of investors who are really supportive and and you know are constantly uh, involved in the business decisions let me just press you on a point you made there because you said you know how important it was to actually stay positive and you know keep pushing ahead with this but how do you actually do that when you're in the middle of it all and it just feels like like, like the business is pretty much falling down around your ears how do you stay positive how, how do you you know physically keep going it's quite a hard one to answer, isn't it? Because sometimes it's mostly subconscious, and it's just you—it's the way you're wired. And I think a lot of a lot of my attitudes I've I've picked up from Mike, especially the last six seven years working closely together. Um, I've talked about it recently on LinkedIn, but one big thing I've learned from Mike um, in the last few years is just that he's got this sort of um, unbreakable positive attitude to life, and it's it's almost like it's almost sort of um, Buddhist-like kind of attitude towards towards living. And it, 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 he has instilled that in me. And I guess um, trying to make sense of it, you know, I think as long as you're every day, you know, putting in 100% and, and you know, you're, you're, you're confident that you're doing the best every single day and you're moving the dial a little bit in the right direction, then... Um, it, you know, he believes it will all fall into place, it, you know, and he's kind of passed that on to me. So I just, I honestly, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the past and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the future and probably spend, you know, over 95% of my waking time literally just working on the next task. And, you know, I, I know you do need to plan ahead a little bit, but I spend most of my time and my energy on, you know, the, the current tasks and, and not, you know, not not worrying or spending too much time thinking backwards or forwards to, you know, stuff that's happened that you can't change or stuff that hasn't happened yet and may not ever happen. So I think that's that's kind of a mindset that Mike's, Mike's gifted me and that I've taken on from him. And it's just, you know, staying really focused on what you can control. And actually, there isn't a lot else um, that's worth worrying about. Um, so that's probably part of it. But yeah, I think a lot of it is just subconscious and you can do things on a daily basis, you know, to help with your with your mental attitude and, and your internal, you know, strength for, towards uh, adversity. And, you know, there are lots of great books out there, self-help books, um, which I still think I can be learning from. So reading one on manifestations at the moment uh, every night and, you know, a, a lot of it, 
can sound a bit cheesy and corny, but you know, the visualizations, the writing down your goals for the year ahead and sticking to them, um, keeping healthy, staying fit and active. This, this all forms a, you know, uh, a, a bigger piece of work that does make a difference every day to your attitude, I think. And that whole idea of just, you know, really good execution of tasks, that is something which is so overlooked in business. That idea of just keep doing the good things but keep moving the business forward and, you know, really, really focusing on that. And, and that does really take you through so many situations. And, and I think it's fair to say, you know, if we look back at just, just the last couple of years, that you actually came um, as a company through the pandemic quite well. You know, you'd done a lot of work on the business, you'd rebranded, you'd just launched nationwide into as the supermarket. So again, you must have reached another point where you thought that nothing could sink you. I think pretty much the same month that you actually did launch in Asda, that's when Russia invaded Ukraine. And that just, you know, brought the world collapsing down, you know, solving energy costs, rapid inflation. And that actually buried many businesses. I actually remember you writing about this on LinkedIn. And, and I think you said something like it was the hardest day of your life, having to close down your UK production facility. Um, was it in Norwich, I think it was? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 you know, closing that down, uh, moving overseas and, and letting to have to, you know, let, let your staff go. And, and that was completely necessary at the time, you know, for, for the business to succeed. But again, how do you handle something like that as a founder when, it, when it's not just you, it's not just your lives, it's, it's other people's as well. And, you know, I know you've had people in the business who were with you from pretty much day one. Yeah, yeah, definitely the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, and, and have talked about it a lot, which has helped me. It's been quite cathartic. Um, you know, being open and honest about that whole experience has really helped me. I think um, that's a big part of it, to be honest, Dave, is, is you know, talking, is, is letting it out. And it's, it's a challenge at the moment for a lot of people because we live in this world where we're more remote than ever. You know, working from home is almost the standard now for a lot of people and we're, we're more disconnected than ever. Um, you know, and mental health issues are are probably worse globally than they ever have been for various reasons. So there is clearly this huge, um, you know, global problem that we're all facing. So for me, going through that um, incredibly difficult time for the business where we had to make a massive difficult decision together and execute it very quickly, going into survival mode, um, it did really help me going up, you know, posting regularly on LinkedIn about that experience um, it was quite, you know, for, for me, it allowed me to reflect on it, to make sense of it and to see that it was, it was the right thing to do at the time. And, you know, I learned a hell of a lot from it. And hopefully now, um, I'm, I'm finding that I quite enjoy giving that back to the community and sharing it with others so that they can hopefully learn from it. And if they come up against that challenge, you know, they know that they haven't been the only ones to do it and that there is a way out. And I, I found that, you know, the, for, for us, the bigger the challenges, the more we learn from it, and eventually, the, the better off we are um, having got through it together. Do you want to speak at more events? Do you want to get invited onto podcasts like this one? Well, it's far easier to do that if you can say that you have written a book. So, let me tell you about the vegan publisher. Their founder, Matali, she is a best-selling business author herself. And Matali and her team, they will lead you through that entire process of becoming a published author, transforming you into the thought leader of your industry. And writing a book, it isn't just a great marketing activity to get you more clients. Trust me, 
Being a published author, it will open up doors to opportunities that you never even knew existed. So even if you think you don't have the time to write a book, or even if you don't know what you might write a book about, go take a look at theveganpublisher.com to find out more. If you are a UK vegan business, wouldn't it be better to have an accountant that shares your ethics? Well, vegan accountants have got over 30 years of experience and they're a vegan-founded company. And just to add, they're also our accountants at Vegan Business Tribe because they just get us. They understand why we do what we do and they make sure that we're doing it in the most tax-efficient way possible. Keith and his team, they've been massive supporters of our mission at Vegan Business Tribe. So if you are an established UK business with a growth mindset and you want an accountant that is going to help you grow and shares your mission as well as saves you tax, then just go to veganaccountants.co.uk to find out more. Can I just quiz you on a couple of things, then, of what you did actually learn from going through that process? Because, you know, letting off staff, it's not an easy thing to do. It's something I, I had to do with the business. I, I, I think we had to get rid of about sort of six or seven staff all, all in one afternoon. And again, it, it was a case of survival. So what did you actually learn from going through that process? I mean, how did you actually communicate that with staff? Because what, what I found when I went through that was the people who were left and the people around the business, that made them equally as panicked that, that they were going to be next a lot of the time. So what, what we had to do was make sure that we'd actually done everything in one step, made that one cut, and that one action had actually put the business onto a much secure footing. So, so what did you learn from going through that process? Yeah, so I guess, I guess firstly, um, c- communication was the most fundamental part of it. So as soon as we, we made the decision as a senior team together, which I thought was really important, rather than what's probably tempting to some people is, you know, go off with the other founder and keep it all closed off, top secret. And, you know, you hear big businesses doing this all the time. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's pretty painful to see and, and pretty horrific for the staff that lose their jobs. So we wanted to we wanted to do it properly. We wanted to do it as sort of ethically as we could. So we got, we got the senior team together um, and, and just, you know, told them everything, explained the whole situation so everyone was on board. And then as a, as a senior team, we made that decision. And we I think doing it quickly is really important. And then as part of the communication is, is telling the staff as quickly as you can what the situation is so that they've got time to make sense of it. And they've got time to come back to you with questions if they've got them or concerns. But also it gives you a bit of a window to help them potentially find other jobs, sort out their references, um, you know, get, get them uh, connected with people locally who can help. So we ended up doing it. I, I think we ended up doing it as best we could. Um now looking back, so we we told them, gave them, I uh, gave some of them three, to, you know, three to six months, which was as much time as we could, and you know, gave them an incentive to stay with us, which we thought was really important. So there was, you know, there was a bit of a bonus at the end um, for the kitchen staff, and then it had, you know, we had some time to actually help a lot of them find other work um, through through local vegan businesses, which was really nice. So a few of them went to. Um, Booja Booja, for example. Um, oh, wonderful! So that was a, that was really nice being able to do that for some of the staff. Um, one of them ended up staying on for an extra six months in the end to help us, um, you know, wind down that whole operation. Took a lot longer than planned, 
Um, so that was nice. And then, um, you know, we went through that whole process with, uh, with, you know, two or three of the senior team who are still with us. And it did, doing that all together as a team helped bring the rest of us even closer together. So now, you know, we, we learned that it's important to have monthly catch up individually one-to-ones with the senior team, which I do, um, just to capture anything that they might, that might be sort of, um, niggling away at them in the background, um, that isn't necessarily work related, but just is causing them some issues. Um, so we, we've put some stuff into place now that we've learned from that whole experience and going through it together. And again, from that came, you know, moving to the co-manufacturing facility that you're now using the Netherlands and you've actually been able to, you know, reduce costs and increase your productivity at the same time. I, I, I think um, I, I read that your capacity has increased tenfold now. And we're not talking about just any old uh, pizza bases coming off a production line here. You know, this is sourdough wood fire pizzas being made on this huge commercial scale. So again, is this an improvement that just wouldn't have happened without what looked like originally being a huge failure, forcing you to take actions that were maybe outside of your comfort zone yeah so i I was terrified of this change because (laughs) we always i speak to a lot of founders about this um in the uk and they are very interested in how and when to make that decision about whether to go and do it your you do it yourself with your own team um or outsource production to a manufacturer and and even more so if it's in another country so you can't be on site every day or check in once a week or month. Um, and it is a really interesting conversation and it's it's absolutely crucial to make the right decision at the time for, for founders. So I was always terrified of this big change. And again, it goes back to Mike's mindset that he's instilled in me, but I always resisted and it, it was always something that we had as a an option. We considered it, um, you know, over time, but we wanted to keep... We wanted to keep a very close eye on production. We wanted to be in there on a regular daily basis, um, you know, so that we could oversee the quality. We could um, we could innovate a lot more so we could control the MPD. We could test things out really easily and um, directly. Um, but then also, you know, we, we wanted, we liked the idea of, you know, supporting the industry locally, building a kitchen here in Norfolk, employing local people, and, uh, you know, and building it up ourselves. But it, it got to the point where it, it didn't align with our end goal of building a scalable vegan food business. So it was actually becoming a bit of a hindrance and holding us back. And at that point, you know, Mike was was pretty laser focused and it was an easy decision for him. And he said, look, if it isn't helping us scale the business and uh, and grow it quickly, then we need to we need to outsource production pretty much as soon as we can, and uh, I struggled a lot more with it because you know we had this emotional tie to this local kitchen team and the kitchen itself, which we built you know almost from scratch over over many years. So once once you know we had that very open conversation and uh, it became really clear that the only way forward was to outsource production. Um, you know, and, and I was on board, then we executed it. And, and actually very quickly, I realized, um, you know, not only was it the, the right decision, but it was probably the best thing we've ever done for the business. Um, but we couldn't have, we couldn't have got there any sooner realistically, because it's, it's almost, you know, it's one of these huge 
catch 22s for small businesses is you, you want at some point you'll want to outsource production most of the time, but you need to, you always need to build up the business to a point where you've got, um, you know, you've got enough volume, got enough interest, you've built up brand awareness to a point where the contract manufacturers will actually take you seriously and open up some doors for you. Um, and to get to that stage with your own factory is, is really tricky, but then to move it over to a contract manufacturer and keep everyone, you know, keep, uh, keep supply going, keep everyone happy at the same time is, uh, is, is such a huge challenge in a, sh- a short period of time. Sometimes I don't think there's a huge difference between taking the leap and actually being pushed though, is there? No, no, it didn't feel like it back then. <laughs> no, I, and I, I, it was really important for me to have 100% faith in Mike and his decision-making. Um, so he, you know, he was the one who first proposed that. And yeah, I guess that's when it's really important to to have total faith in the other founder. If you, if you are co-founders to, you know, to be able to trust him with that and say, yeah, you know, if you think that's the right decision for the business, then let's go for it and not look backwards, but just focus on on executing it as quickly and effectively as possible. So here's the big question then. Um, why do you think, with failure being such a, a big learning tool, and it's often a process that is also a real milestone in the development of, of many companies. So why do you think that we still don't like to talk about it as business owners? I think it's just it goes back to being vulnerable, doesn't it? Which is um, which is really scary for a lot of people, uh, and I'm still learning a lot about this. But it's uh, you know, vulnerability is is mistaken for weakness. I think a lot of the time, and and talking about your mistakes is mistaken as weakness. But um, actually, you know, it can be a real strength, and I've learned that over the last few years through LinkedIn alone is. Um, is that if, I mean, if, if, you, if you've made a huge mistake and you've learned from it and you've survived and you've gone on um, to continue to grow your business and move forwards, then I guess for me, I, I, I always think, well, what, what, can I, what can I gain from that mistake? And sometimes, you know, apart from the lessons, you can also, you can also take that mistake and, uh, you know, make some great, fantastic, con- genuine content out of it which doesn't cost anything apart from a little bit of your time, which is really important for small businesses. But actually you can, um, you know, you can help strengthen your network. You can build your own platform. You can use those mistakes to help others in your community who share a similar goal, which is to get more people eating plant-based food. And, uh, and then when you start looking at it, it actually makes a lot of sense to, to, to be more vulnerable and to use your mistakes to, to, do those, to achieve those goals. I think I think that's really important point just on that vulnerability because I've I've had vegan business tribe members contact me asking if we can actually talk more about you know how to manage failure more because they're facing situations that they think they're the only one who's going through this but I think the reality is that everyone's faced it but we all hide it so if a growing business has got nothing to reference which that just makes it so much harder to deal with they think that it's just them who are failures when actually quite often it is just part of the business process. Yeah, and as soon as you start talking to any of these other founders, and they, you know, they're they're being honest with you, then they have they've all made huge mistakes and done stuff that you would laugh at now looking back. Um, so, you know, we've all done it, and no one's built your business before; it's never happened before. So, 
you have to go through that process of making mistakes, learning from them, slightly changing your attitude or your method, and then and then uh, moving forwards. So, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I am talking about it a lot, but um, I think it's hugely valuable to do it for yourself and for other people in the community. Um, and uh, yeah, and we're all we're all going through it. It's just some a lot of people are afraid to talk about it. So I I would always encourage people. And when I'm giving a, advice to other founders about LinkedIn and trying to build up their platform, one of my first bits of advice is to is to talk about talk about you, what you've um, you know what, what mistakes or challenges you've had to overcome in the past, and then what you've learned from them and, and how it's how it's improved things. Well, just to pick up on that one point, I mean, there is such a pressure as a founder p- to pretend that, you know, it doesn't take a toll on us, that w- we're not human sometimes. This, so, do you ever feel that pressure yourself just to project that image, um, you know, a, a, of being a little bit of a superman in business? Or are you worried that it will harm your brand if you just show that little chink in your armour sometimes? I, I definitely did initially, for, you know, for the first couple of years. But when I started, um, as soon as I started posting about uh, you know, challenges, things I've struggled with, mental health. So, for, for example, when I started posting about burning out for the first time, um, which I've done, um, you know, three or four times over a couple of years now, it was it was one of the most successful LinkedIn posts I've ever done. You know, it reached um, it reached. I think the first one reached over twenty five thousand people, which which is the same capacity as our local football club stadium which blew my mind when I realized that. And I, I spoke to my girlfriend, Hannah, and said, I can't believe how many people have seen this post about burning out. And um, that was the most vulnerable I've ever been uh, online, talking about mental health and the pressure on founders and, um, you know, hope in, in, in the hope of helping others avoid it. So from then on, I realized actually it's one of the best things you can talk about um, is your own struggles and how you overcome them. Um, and so now I post about it a lot more and it actually is the best performing content a lot of the time, which, which ultimately helps me reach my end goal of building up that community, that network to ultimately help, you know, sell more pizzas realistically, which helps, uh, people eat more plant-based foods. So again, it goes, but you can use it as a bit of a superpower. Did you know that in the UK alone, there is currently around three trillion pounds invested in pensions? And much of that money, it's helping to fund harmful industries like tobacco, fossil fuels, gambling and animal agriculture. So if instead you want to put your money where your heart is, then Jay Street is the founder of Mindful Wealth, our UK-based independent and vegan financial advisor here at Vegan Business Drive. And because they are truly independent, they're not restricted to any specific investment range, so they can find the best option that works for you both financially and ethically. Although do note for the value of your investments, it can go down as well as up. But you don't need to have a lot of money invested to make a difference. If you want to talk about your financial planning, whether you're just starting your journey or you need a little guidance on how to create and maintain good habits, then book a free discovery call with Jay by heading to mindfulwealth.uk. 
If you are looking to get your business in the news or on the radio or interviewed on TV, then no one's going to get your company noticed like Karen Ridges and her team at Mad Promotions. And Karen, she's been at the forefront of the vegan media scene for the last 20 years. And Mad Promotions, they're also our media partners at Vegan Business Tribe. So if you've read about us in plant-based news or in Veg Economist, then that's probably because Karen got that story there. So if you are an ethical company or entrepreneur that wants more media coverage, and if you're a company that is looking to make a difference, then that's literally what Mad Promotion stands for. Karen, she's worked with Veganuary, VegFest, and all the other big names. So go find out more at mad-promotions.com. Do you ever get to the point where you think maybe you could lean into that too much? Because, I mean, I mean, th- th- that's one of the problems with algorithms, that you'll produce a piece of content, it blows up, it does absolutely amazing <laughs> well. You know, you're saying to all these people, come have a good look at me at, 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 at my lowest point, perhaps. And so because that works so well, you say, well, I, I'm going to do more of this. I'm going to really lean into it. And, yeah. and I, I think that sometimes we do see um, some founders maybe leaning into that and, and they're almost trying to create that rather than being authentic about it as well. Is is that something that you've come up against maybe yeah that's a really good point um i i try to always um split my content out into you know um personal stuff that shows vulnerability and learnings um educational informative content about the sector and then uh you know opinion pieces on other launches other brands other acquisitions things like that so um that always helps me make sure that i'm not um you know focusing too much on one of those areas. And I guess it, it, if I started posting, and you can, if you started posting on s- something too much, like burnout, for example, or your own mental health struggles as a founder, uh, I guess I wouldn't feel like I'm being true to myself and showing up, mm. uh, you know, showing that whole, presenting that whole picture um, and creating the content that I want to, everyone to see and, and putting it out there. So I think it's it's good to have in your head um you know, a bit of a rough, a rough idea, a rough split of the kind of stuff you want to put out there and share with people in your community. Because it, it, it's really important in your community to to show all sides of yourself. Um, and the struggles are a big part of it, but they're not the whole picture. And you do always, you also need to share some of the successes, you know, and the, you know, the new listings, the, the new product launches, um, the, the fundraise you've just over subscribed for. Um, so yeah, if I only posted about the struggles, I feel like I wouldn't be true to myself, but also probably I should imagine a lot of people would start reaching out and saying, I'm a bit worried about you. You know, are you actually okay? Is And, and it would start feeling a little bit bleak. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've just kind of wandered into the final topic that I wanted to talk about. And it's this idea of building your profile as a founder, as just a great way of promoting your company. And it's something that we've seen a lot of vegan challenger brands do, um, especially over LinkedIn as well. So, you know, Better Nature Tempe, that they've been brilliant at this with all their founders. Um, it's just seeing what um, Andy Shovel from Disco, what, what, what he's been putting together as well. And I, I think you've been um, highlighting uh, Henrik Lund from, from Naturally as well, as somebody who's just really, you know, built a really great personal brand. So is this something that you've got a conscious strategy to do? And if so, how have you approached that? Yeah, it's taken me, um, I, I remember when someone first pushed me towards uh, building my own platform separate, 
you know, complementary to One Planet Pizza, but it's very much, this is me, this is my personality. Um, and that was way back in oh, 20, maybe 2018, someone said, you really need to be on LinkedIn. You know, you've got a great founder story. You can, a lot of people can learn from this and you can build your own platform, um, which will ultimately help the company. But I never really, uh, I never took it that serious. Most people who come to me for advice on LinkedIn say they've got a profile, but they just don't post regularly or they don't take it that seriously and they don't, they don't want to start sharing too much. And um, you do, and I, I, I say to them really that you do, if, if you want to, if you want to commit to this and you do definitely want to do it, then you need to, you need to go all in. You need to consistently post and have your own strategy about what the content is that you're sharing. So like I said earlier, I sort of split mine into two or three areas and very roughly try to post three to five times a week. And I try to keep it in the morning generally. And it's a very, that's a very soft, um, quite vague strategy, but it's something that I'm consistent with and it's realistic. So I know I'm going to stick up sometimes. I'm not going to stick to it hundred percent. So I try and keep it a little bit, um, you know, almost a little bit vague for myself so that I'm not being too, too hard on myself. Um, and I, 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 you know, uh, I have got so much out of it. So I do believe that the more you put into LinkedIn, the more you get out. And for, for founders in particular, I just think it's incredibly valuable to start sharing um, as much as you feel comfortable sharing and showing your true self, um, you know, all of the, the good, bad and the ugly, uh, it all forms that bigger picture. Um, and I think it is, it is a bit of a super weapon that we can use against the big brands. So, you know, for, for us, our competition is, you know, the, the traditional meat and dairy pizza brands, Goodfellas, Dr. Ocker, Chicago Town, um, ZZ's. So these are our main competitors within our subsector of frozen vegan. And when you think about, okay, what our USPs are, actually quite a lot of them, realistically, when you're being hard on yourself, a lot of them can be copied. And these, these brands can almost always beat you on price. They can beat you on distribution. They can spend a hell of a lot more than you can on marketing, activation, promotions in store. So then you need to think about what you can do that they can't copy. And one of those, uh, one of those things, one of your strengths is, um, is your, is yourself ultimately is, is who you are, is your journey. And is the fact that you're a mission driven founder led challenger brand, a disruptor founder of a small but growing food business. And you've done some of those like, extremely well, just to jump in there. I mean, I, I mean, one of your, I think, greatest posts that I've maybe seen from you on LinkedIn is when you ordered this full-size pizza box costume for you to wear and just going down to like Tesco's head office and there's a photo of you just banging on their office door dressed as your product. I, I, I mean, that's the sort of thing that you don't see from the, from the you know, the, the bigger brands that, that you are challenging against. Absolutely, yeah. And it, that's... That's when it gets really exciting is um, putting on your creative hat and thinking, okay, what can we do as a very small brand with limited resources, um, you know, significantly less brand awareness that the, that the big boys can't do? So that's when you, have, that's when you get your most creative um, because that's always the biggest challenge is, is how to really stand out as a smaller brand with less resources. Um, but when you start creating... That's when you start creating magic in that space. You can do stuff that even if the 
bigger companies to go up against might do it, I don't think it would look as authentic or real and it wouldn't resonate with with your audience and your followers and people within your network. Um, and for me, it's just a lot of it's not taking yourself too seriously um, because people are, I think people are just so bored now of serious brands and serious companies and it's a pretty tough world out there at the moment. So I think it's more important than ever just to try and inject a little bit of life, a little bit of... Um, authenticity and and just have fun as a smaller brand as a challenger because that you know that's really what a challenger and a disruptor is all about is uh is you know is um it's it's just breathing a bit of life or fresh air into a very old stagnant category a lot of the time so within within frozen pizza for us it's just incredibly traditional category it hasn't changed much over the years it's dominated by two or three huge global brands um, and conglomerates and for us to come in as a very very small player um we can be incredibly uh unique we can be very loud and we can talk about things that they're probably very scared of talking about we haven't got the same red tape uh rules and regulations in place so we can you know we can have a lot more fun in that space and we can push boundaries we can tease tease things that they probably wouldn't go near uh, we can go and knock on Tesco's door in a silly pizza costume to get attention that they probably wouldn't be able to do because they couldn't get it authorized by their boss somewhere in a big office. So I think that's for small brands. That's where that's where you can really have fun and and you really should be pushing boundaries and remember that you are a disruptor or a challenger and that's where you can that's where you can start really building and harnessing your own profile. I think just to expand on that point as well, it is now perfectly acceptable to build your business in public and it can actually make your customers feel like they've been part of your journey as well. And I know when you first got listing in the supermarkets, you know, you, you had your customers tagging you on social when they found your products in, in, in the various supermarkets. It's something myself and my wife Lisa did. We, we, we had to drive around, I think it was like three different Asdas when you first launched to find <laughs> your pizza because we wanted to support you and we wanted to take a photo of us buying it and stuff like that. So it's, it's about something that you've been able to tap into as well just you know bringing people on that journey and like uh, you know not being too precious ab about how you're building that business behind the scenes yeah and i've always believed in doubling down on your most loyal followers and your most loyal customers so you know that there's a lot of theories around having you know a thousand diehard customers to build a scalable business on and focusing on those guys um putting you know over 50 percent of all of your attention onto those small but loyal followers and i've always really believed in that um and i've seen the evidence of uh of, of you know the more you put into those most loyal uh customers the more you get back and they will be the ones that shout from the rooftops to another hundred people or another thousand people about your brand and your story and your mission and it, it you know word of mouth is incredibly effective for smaller brands and again the more you can have a unique story and you can get them involved in that story and that journey the better i think from a, from a, from as early on as possible as well so they they can really see how much you've grown um you know from from day one to up up to where you are now and i, I think people do just really love an underdog don't they uh, generally you know a lot of movies are based on uh, on on loving the underdog and i think it's the same in in the you know in the world of um startups and challenger brands within food so if you can get those people on board as soon as possible and you know reward them open up to them share with them connect with them then uh, it, will, it will pay dividends 
in years to come. And it's not just your customers, though, that, that get to see all this. Uh, I mean, for you, it's the buyers, but I guess it's also potential suppliers, maybe even potential partners who are going to come in and invest in the business. You know, they all want to feel part of the story as well. Yeah, yeah, it's in, and it's infectious. So, the, you know, the more fun you have growing a business, um, the more other people will feel like they're enjoying it as well. Um, and it's just about spreading that positivity. So we, you know, th- there is that vulnerable um, sharing openness side. But then I think really most of what we do is is very lighthearted. It's quite fun. It's very silly. You know, I, I think it's really important as founders not to be afraid of embarrassing yourself. I think there's a lot of value in that and just putting yourself out there and, and not hiding behind the camera, but just getting in front of it Um you know, and, and not thinking too much about how you come across, um, which is why I, I talked about the founder of Naturally recently, um, Henrik, and mm. how he's built such a strong, loyal following of his brand. And a, a lot of that is down to the product and the quality, but there's also a big part of it that's it's who he is and how authentic and lovable he is and how much fun he's having with his brand. And it's infectious because you see him and you will have seen him, Dave, at events. Mm. And he's always having the best time and he's always the loudest guy in the room. And um, I just find that so infectious. And you just, you know, it makes you it makes you want to hang out with him as a founder and learn from him and find out how, you know, what's his secret to being so positive and optimistic all the time. But then also it does make you think this brand must be bloody good. It must taste brilliant. I've got to get some of this butter or ice cream. Absolutely amazing. So, Joe, this has been an absolutely brilliant session. And I want to close with just one last piece of advice from you. So if if you're talking to a vegan business founder, so not necessarily a food founder, but just someone who's trying to build an ethical vegan brand, where should they be investing their time and energy? What's, What's your biggest piece of advice for them? Yeah, so it may sound strange, but one of the things we've learned um, more recently is that if firstly I would say it's, it, you need to be 100% real with yourself and decide if you want to build a scalable um, you know a scalable business that can rapidly grow or whether you want to focus on building something slightly smaller and keep hands on with it and uh, you know see it more as a side project or a hobby so there's a really big distinction between the two there. And I guess you need to be real with yourself about which one you want. And if it's if, if you do genuinely want to build a vegan food business that can scale, that you'll need investors on board, you want to you know, be a household brand or you want to get into all four of the major grocers, then I think it's really important to understand that the size of the market and who you're aiming a product at. So for us... We made the mistake early on that we aimed our product too much at vegans themselves. And we, for a year or two, we were ignoring the mass majority of our customer base, which were actually the flexitarians. They weren't necessarily vegan or veggie, but they were these, you know, this growing uh, majority of the market, which now makes up about um, a third of the population, roughly, who are just actively reducing their meat and dairy intake. So they don't identify necessarily with a label vegan vegetarian but but they are uh, they are the people who are buying our pizzas for one reason or another and so i'd say but probably my main piece of advice would be as quickly as you can it's absolutely crucial to understand who's going to be buying your product 
and where they're going to be buying it from and then be laser focused about getting your product into those stores or whether it's your website or uh, whether you need to focus on international sales, where, where you want your product to end up and who's going to be buying them. So most of the time you'll probably find for vegan food, it, most of your sales realistically won't come um, in the end from vegans or veggies, um, but they'll come from the flexitarians. And then you just need to double down on almost every part of the of the product that they can see and behind the scenes and socials that focuses on the majority of consumers because ultimately it's going to come down to sales um, in those bigger stores and you need to make sure that your positioning is absolutely perfect for those consumers. Well, that is absolutely brilliant, Joe. So we have been talking with Joe Hill, co-founder of One Planet Pizza. And Joe, where can people get their hands on your pizza? Where did they go to find out a bit more about the company too? Yes, yeah, so, um, I mean, it would be pretty embarrassing after all that if I said I wasn't on LinkedIn or Instagram. So you can find us uh, over on those platforms. Uh, we've just updated our website, so all the information you need is now on there. And we are um, listed nationwide with Asda, so you can find us in your local Asda freezers in the plant-based section. And hopefully next year, uh, you will see an announcement about another big retailer very soon. Um, and don't forget the independents. So we've got about 400 independents and smaller retailers across the UK, all of which you can find on our uh, website, Stockist Map. You don't fancy giving oh. us a tiny exclusive of, of who you're going to launch into next? Well, all I will say is it's one of the big four and we're already in Asda. So that should narrow it down <laughs> a fair bit. <laughs> oh, absolutely brilliant. And there's one final point there. Are you happy for people to reach out to you and maybe connect with you on LinkedIn or, or if they've got any advice that they want to ask from you? I would love it, Dave. Yeah, that's what I'm all about. So yeah, please get in touch through LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always happy to help wherever I can um, if you think you can learn something from me and Mike's many mistakes and challenges. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joe, and I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. Thanks, Dave. I loved that session. One Planet Pizza, they really are the epitome of what a vegan business is. And do go follow Joe Hill on LinkedIn especially, as he puts out just some really useful and interesting content too. Okay, so... That is it for this episode. Please do leave us a review or a five-star rating if your podcast app lets you do that. And if you're watching the video version on YouTube, then please do give us a like, a subscribe, and also leave a comment down below about what you thought about our discussion today. And if you want to go beyond the podcast and connect with me and our amazing community of vegan business owners directly, then please do consider signing up with us at veganbusinesstribe.com. It is only £18.99 a month, which is just amazing value for a business community. And then you can tell me more about your business or your idea. So thank you as always to our amazing sponsors who are Vegan Accountants, Mad Promotions, The Vegan Publisher and Mindful Wealth. And I will see you on the next one.